how was it doing a uh, doing a podcast with your son? Um, obviously good, but you know, nerve wracking. <laughs> what they're going to say? I don't swear. You're only nine. Um, <laughs> but no, really good. I mean, it's always nice to hear people's um, well, your children's thoughts on things, and you never truly know whether or not they're saying what they really think or really what they think you want them to say. But right, especially um, I guess when there's a microphone in front of them. Yeah, I mean, it'd be probably interesting to do another one when I'm not around and um, see, yeah. see what it's like then. Just get all the good stories about you out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> plenty of them. Mike, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about adversity today. Okay, man. Now, continuing with the theme of me weirding you out with a good memory for the things you've said five years ago. <laughs> God. You've got all these written down somewhere, man. I genuinely don't. Um, I had once asked you in the car journey to jiu-jitsu uh, what was the hardest thing you've done and your reply uh, was that you'd never actually done anything that you perceived to be difficult which I kind of understood at the time and, and do understand my, my, more now I think that what you were meant what you were saying there is like it's, it's a frame of reference like um, it, people go through all kinds of crazy difficulties in your in their lives uh, and for you the things you'd done you know uh, compared I guess it, you'd, you'd see it differently Do, can you speak to that a little bit um yeah I don't, again I don't remember saying that to you but I'll trust you that I did um I think probably what I meant by that because it can sound quite arrogant that can't it oh nothing's hard well of course I've faced hardship um physically emotionally mentally just like everyone else, you know, obviously being in the Royal Marines, you're pushed beyond what most people would ever experience physically. You know that, you've been there. Um, when Gabriel was born, we had Gabe on a kid's postcard recently, he was born prematurely and, and that was traumatic and emotionally extremely taxing to see your child fighting for the life, you know, um, for such a long time, that that was very very difficult. But I think adversity is the is how you approach it. Um, and if you're the kind of person, or you can develop a, a, a level of resilience and confidence in yourself, that you know, no matter what is put in front of you, you're able to overcome it. I think that's what I kind of meant. Mm. And I think I've had enough experiences now, you know, with the Atlantic Road coming up as well, and my work and, and everything else that I just, I'm so self-confident that I can overcome anything anyone puts in front of me, that nothing's difficult because I'll just do it anyway. Right. You know, that's kind of what I meant. I put a, okay. a social post out the other day about um, about pain because, look, pain pain's one of those things that we have to tolerate if we want to get better. Whether that's emotional pain and we want to become better better partners or better people, whether that's financial pain so we can, you know, manage our money better in the future, whether it's physical pain because we want to be able to succeed physically um, and be better at something. I put a post the other day about pain and pain actually is a mental signal that's sent to the body to tell the body to slow down because if you don't slow down, you know, your homeostasis, you kind of your kind of being is going to start to be affected. But the interesting thing is, and I read this in Ross Edgerton's book, and I've read it recently, is that the brain sends the signal to the body when you're about 40% fatigue. 
yeah, it feels like you're at 101% fatigue. Mm. So I was doing some sprints on the road the other day and there was eight lots of sprints. I've done a 30-minute steady road, eight lots of sprints, max effort for a minute each one. I put in my max effort every time, but my numbers went up. So I got, I went further every one. Well, how's that possible? I'm doing, I'm more fatigued, but I'm going further. Well, that's just a mindset. That is kind of, and I was, you know, every sprint I would get, I would feel that pain, my legs, my lactic acid, my lungs burning, my back burning, my leg. And that pain would come earlier and I was waiting for it. <laughs> I was watching the clock, waiting for the pain to kick in because it was that was the point I was going to fight it and go even harder and tell the pain to go away. Um, and the numbers went up. And I think a lot of people, unless you, you've conditioned yourself to do that, as soon as you feel that pain, you slow down or you stop. Mm. That's everyone's natural reaction. Oh, I'm dead tired. I can't do any more. Right, stop then. If we're going to create resilience and, and be able to get through adversity, we need to see what's on the other side. We need to just keep going a little, a little bit more and just peer over the cliff and pull the curtain back and say, all right, it's not that bad, actually. I'll just do a little bit more again. Right. A little bit more again. And then you develop this kind of confidence that when that wall comes down, you know, you can smash through it. There's a guy who runs ultra marathons with a, oh, he, he doesn't anymore, but he used to with a, with a fridge on his back called, called Tony the Fridge. <laughs> Why? <laughs> Raising money for um, cancer research. And uh, I was listening to him speak on a podcast and uh, his internal mental talk he says it, he just blocks it all out. So when there's a voice in him and he said in his head going, oh, you're doing really well. You've got this far already feeling strong, feeling good, blocks it out. Because for him, it, that's the same voice that in four hours time is going to be telling him like, oh, you've done really well, mate. You've, you've raised a lot of money. Like if you stop here, like it's okay. Like you don't need to go any further. Like no one's going to judge you. You've done, you've done well. You just, just quit here. Just quit here. And it's like, oh, that, that sounds all right. Do you personally, when, you, when you're going through like these, you know, obviously training really hard now for the, the, um, the ocean row, um, and other times in your life when you've done, I know you've done like the big treks on the Marine, da, 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 da. Um, do you have an internal talk? Like what goes on up there? No, not like that, I don't think. I, I have often, particularly in jiu-jitsu competition, actually when I was really, because I think that those are perhaps times when I was at my most nervous waiting to fight. Um, I would kind of think about what other people might think of me. So my granddad, people I cared about, what would they say? How, what am I going to say to my kids later on? How how proud of, of me can I make them? Um, so I'd have that little discussion myself, but there's really no, there's nothing in my head really other than I can't fail. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. so let's say when you're doing these max effort rows and you, and you're doing better each time as you're getting fatigued. Is there anything in your head like, oh, just need to push harder? Is it? Is there anything like that? Or is it just like, or is it just quiet up there? Like, how does it work? I think I think I probably kind of just do it naturally now, to mm. be honest. Like, it's not a thought. I don't consciously think, right. like, oh, I need to do this now. I'm waiting for the pain. Like, I'm waiting to, and I'm almost like looking, this sounds really weird. I'm like literally kind of looking forward to it because I know that's the point I'm going to become better. So I don't want the easy 
bit. Like that, that to me is pretty boring. I want to be pushing myself um, physically, mentally, in a, in a skill and whatever it is, I want to be challenging myself. And I'm only really interested in that last little bit because that's the growth. We can all coast along doing stuff that we find super easy. I'm really not interested in that now. Like I want to find the hidden corners, the limits, the bits where I'm bad, stuff I'm not good at and become better at them. And I, I call it kind of smoothing, around, smoothing the edges off and making myself as kind of complete a person as possible. No, I'd say like um, jiu-jitsu is inherently difficult, I'd say. Um, it needs to be because... Like you say, if you want to, you need to grow through jiu-jitsu and, and like you say, to grow, you need to, you need to face some, some kind of adversity, obviously. Um, get outside the comfort zone a little bit. What is it that, that kind of draws people, do you think, to those difficult situations? Because I guess if you, you, could, you could go through life right now and, and never, if you wanted, really go through much adversity, you know. It's, it's pretty easy life nowadays, right? Yeah, providing you're born into a middle-class family in the West, let's say. So what, what is it you think that draws people to want to go through different adversity? That's a good question. I'm not sure. I think it's probably an individual thing. I don't think you could kind of broad brush it and say the reason people want to do this is, you know, want adversity is because of this. I think it's individual. I would think a lot of people do it because of what they want others to perceive them to be. Mm. Um you know, people say, like, I remember when we went to, like, Afghanistan or whatever and Iraq. And, you know, people are quoted in saying this anyway, but, like, no one looks forward to that. We were on um, HMS Ocean sailing out. The government were about to press the button on whether we should go into Afghan or not. We were going in because we were already in the Gulf kind of waiting for the politicians to make that decision. And I remember the night before we went in, we flew in by helicopter, there was Whiskey Company and, and Zulu Company in the galley in the ship. And the officers came down and basically said, this is what we're doing. Prime Minister's pressed the button. We're going to go to Afghanistan tomorrow. Um, the officers left and the RSM at the time, so I'm digressing slightly, a guy called Russ Craig, really famous mountain leader in, in the Marines. He was on some BBC documentary back in the 70s, I think, about survival. Um, he made us all stay behind and he kind of, partitioned off about maybe a fifth of the lads to one side and he said look like the officers have gone now I'm going to tell you the truth like we're expecting to lose you lot like a fifth of everyone here is going to not come home um, because the Americans we were taking over from the 10th Power Division were taking massive casualties and the Taliban were on top and we're in the mountains and it's 11,000 feet and all that kind of stuff so um yeah, so that that was the casualty they were expecting. So he said, look, guys, get your head around that. Go write a letter to whoever you care about and we'll see you tomorrow ready to go. Like, no one wants to go <laughs> the next day. The only reason you go is because you don't let your mates down and you don't look foolish in front of your mates. Mm. And, and everyone's like that, so it just happens. There's no one super brave at that point. No one's desperate to go. You just don't want to let anyone down. So I think that's one of the main reasons people do it is because they want the perception from others to be that they're capable. Would you say that's kind of like the good side of ego? Like ego is tossed around as like a, a bad phrase a, a lot these days, but you, you do need, you can't just go around with like 
zero ego because you'd never kind of like get stuff done. Everyone's yeah. got an ego. Yeah. I think that the, the fine line is arrogance and confidence. Right. Okay. It's a tightrope, mm. you know, and, you know, I would suggest arrogance is over promising what you can't do in your own mind or a kind of, you've misaligned what you're actually capable of yet you tell everyone you can do more. Confidence is the other way around. Like you just, and it comes back to your first point, adversity, like, I just know I'm not going to be defeated. And even if I am, no matter what it is, I'm going to handle it okay. Like I, d- I just don't see now at 40 years old with those experiences behind me how I can kind of lose, really. The only things that I would ever class as losing is if, like, you know, something happens to my family or something. Um, but me personally, I don't, I don't fear that anymore. Maybe that's come with a bit of maturity. Maybe I'm a bit older. Mm. I don't feel losing. I put um, another Instagram post about it's a story. I trained with Lewis. Uh, for those of you, you, you should all know who he is, but a really good friend of mine, the, the head instructor and professor over at Grace Bar Arrogate. Trained with him the other morning. And um, I think the title of my post was Crumpled Heap. And I basically, I basically said something along the lines of, because it was Sunday morning, something along the lines of, like, lose early in the day humble yourself know your place and give yourself a space to grow into like he battered me did it bother me I loved it he's better than me I've got a place to grow to Mm. that's good there's adversity there I'm getting beaten on a Sunday morning at 8 o'clock I'm getting beaten up but I love it so how can you lose man with a mindset like that you know we've all got that we've all got the ability to be like that you just got to, you've got to develop it over time and be around people who, who are able to show you the way to develop that. Maybe um, change it up a little bit. Uh, something I was thinking about a bit today. Does jujitsu uh, make you become more philosophical? Um, philosophical, I don't know. Do you think it does? I think similar to your answer earlier, I think it probably depends on the individual. It gives you perspective. That's mm. what it gives you, in my opinion. I'm not sure it gives you a, a new philosophy or allows you to see the world in any different way. I think it gives you perspective because you see in, laid out in front of you, you see, and everyone else in that room sees, you, you're the true you. They see your vulnerabilities. They see your weaknesses, they see your strengths, they see ego if you've got it, they see arrogance if you've got it. What they don't see at our school is wealth, ability or disability because we strip all that away and everyone's equal but your true nature is there for everyone to see. Because if you get beat and you mope off and storm off and make excuses, everyone sees that. If you're humble in defeat and ask your training partner, man, what was it I did there that gave you that opening? Or, wow, how did you do that? And then you've got, everyone sees that kind of openness and that room for growth. If you can go walk onto that mat for your first trial class, scared, stiff, you probably will be a bit anxious, a bit nervous, something new, love it, meet some great people, come back and then lose consistently for six months, which you will, and then you get your first submission. 
ever against someone else in live training. Man, you remember that feeling. It's like gold, right? But you've got to earn it because you ain't going to get it on day one. Is there a, to that point, is there a kind of a, a self-selection in jiu-jitsu because, you know, it, you have to, well, I guess you don't have to go in knowing, but you are going to eventually learn that you will lose, you know, a lot, especially in the beginning for those, like, you know, for, especially those first I'm six st- months. I'm still losing, like I say. Like, yeah. I'm still losing a lot against people that are better than me. Good. I'm thankful for them. Mm-hmm. So do you think it attracts the people that... Um, are inherently like that or would you say it teaches you you people develop to understand that better yeah and I think that's I was shaking my head then um, on the podcast I think that comes back to the point you were making before about that philosophy that philosophical development I don't think I was like that when I before I started jiu-jitsu in the marines I don't think I had that perspective I think I thought I was invincible full stop. And then maybe I had to feel that because I was flying to Afghanistan at the time. But jiu-jitsu has allowed me to be comfortable not always winning, to be comfortable not always having my best day. And, yeah, just to be a better person. And I think then it just makes you a better, a better person all around. You can be a bit more tolerant. You could be a better friend. You're hu- more humble, and that's that's a word which I would have described myself at 21 year old. There are not many 21 year olds that are humble. If they do jujitsu, they are for definite because they know what it's like to lose. They know they're not the top dog all the time. And I think particularly for men and young men to get knocked down off your perch of I'm an absolute killer and I'm strutting round and we know all see these kids strutting down the street thinking that they're an absolute you know killer when if you do jiu-jitsu you know that they're not unless they do jiu-jitsu <laughs> so that that sense of where your place is in the world the hierarchy of ability as a kind of a man in your prowess in the world I think yeah, we could all learn about that. For you, Mike, does, does jiu-jitsu become more... Where does jiu-jitsu lie between a science and an art form? Um, probably square in the middle. I, I don't class myself as a martial artist. I know you do. Um, I don't class myself as a martial artist. I enjoy... I absolutely love the self-defense aspect of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and that martial art. But what I get out of Jiu-Jitsu is the challenge and the growth and the sport side of it, really. Um, I think it's more the science, if we're going to call it science, like the problem-solving and that kind of cerebral um, problem-solving thing. That's what I love about it. There's nothing. There's nothing more satisfactory for me than going into a role wanting to achieve something and then actually achieving it against a willing opponent and finding a way through the problems that they're presenting me to get to the end I want to be at I mean that's higher level jiu-jitsu right because you have to navigate what's in front of you to get to a specific destination most people in jiu-jitsu when they're rolling particularly lower level 
you're just rolling, you're just sparring and let's see what happens. Mm. But I think to challenge yourself, and this is why the learning in Jiu-Jitsu is completely endless. As a black belt, you should be giving people good positions and working from them and then also challenging yourself to, let's say, only submit people tonight by cross-collar choke. Well, that means they've got to get to close guard, right? And we're not starting there and they might do something and I have to get back. So, yeah, that science side of it and that problem solving, I really like. Mm. It's not so much of an expression of art for me. Mm. I guess I define art as... Um, as a, a means, uh, as a way of expressing yourself through a given medium. Yes. So a painter might express himself through, you know, a brush and a canvas, right? Um, and for me, I think you are, I think jujitsu is very scientific, especially at the start when you literally just have to mo- learn the moves, right? I think eventually, and I'm, I'm definitely not at that level yet, I'm still le- learning just basic techniques and positions, right? But I think uh, eventually, from what I understand, it, as I develop my own game, and then it becomes a more of a creative pursuit because I'm, I'm, I'm learning a, a unique game to me that I can't, just, that another person can't just package up and put onto them Correct. because they don't have my body type or they don't have, even I'd, I'd go as far as to say my, my experiences and the things that I hold important. For instance, um, as we were saying in the kids podcast earlier, I hold neon belly as an important position because of such and such reasons, but someone else might not have the same experience to believe the same things as me. And then for, they will develop an entirely different game. Well, that's what yeah. makes it unique, yeah. right? Like my my perspective on that, my philosophy around jiu-jitsu, if you will, is that it, whatever you practice, fundamentals are key and they don't lie. And you need to develop a solid fundamental understanding of the positions of jiu-jitsu to a, to a degree that enables you to practice that and do it regardless of the scenario. That, that's a long-winded way of saying in jiu-jitsu now it's developed as a sport and there are some certain techniques that you would not want to be doing in a pub car park at 11 o'clock at night when someone's come out and wants to start a fight with you. So most of the techniques I'll teach in our academy, not all because you've got to show everyone everything, but most of them will be, um, will be able to be transferred from the mat to the pub car park to a no-gi competition, to a gi competition, to wherever you want to be. Um, and I want that broader, basic understanding of, and have those solid fundamentals. That's that's what I think is really important. I think we can look past that and we can go to the fancy stuff. and keep getting drawn to the fancy spinning upside down stuff. That's no good if you haven't got the solid base to start with. Now, I know the self-defense aspect of uh, jiu-jitsu is very important to you. But uh, I know you're also um, come from a world where um, quite knowledgeable about different weapon systems, whether that's, you know, rifles or, or I'm sure you've had lots of experience just within your job learning about all kinds of different weapons and knives and and that kind of thing. Love it. And where, where do we kind of draw the line of, of what teaching self-defense is and, and what does it actually mean teaching self-defense? Uh, because uh, 
self-defense seems like such a broad, infinite different scenarios you could be in that you could say, oh, you need to know self-defense for this. What, what does it mean to you? It means um, that, well, I, I think self-defense should only be used as a last resort. Like if someone comes up to me at a cash point and says, give me your wallet or I'll stab you, I ain't going to do any jujitsu on them. I'm going to give them a wallet. You know, if someone comes up to me in the street and says, give me some money before I beat you up, maybe I might do something. They pull a knife out, they get my wallet, right? So I think that a little bit of knowledge can be really dangerous. And we, I don't want anyone in our academy to think that they've, they've learned one counter to something and now they're invincible. And they're strutting around at night thinking that they're not at risk as you are. I think it just maybe just kind of hones your view of the world a little bit different and you start to see what danger is, what danger could be. Distance management's a massive thing. Like if we taught someone anything, it would be what distance means in a combative situation. Because you, do, you don't want to be at the end of a punch no matter who you are or who you're against. So just teaching someone that's really important. Um, but yeah, I mean, self-defence, I'm passionate about it. I've got a lot to learn about it still. But it's one of them things like any skill you've got to be practising it all the time for it to be really effective. And if you're not, it could actually be to your detriment. So my, my advice to anyone would be, walk away from every single fight that you possibly could get yourself into. And the other thing as well is, we all know people, well, let's use Lewis as an example. He won't mind me saying this, I'm sure. If you saw him walking down the street, you wouldn't necessarily think he was a handy fella. And I'm sure these people, you know, much bigger would look at him and think, man, it'd be an easy fight. The guy would kill you with his bare hands, you know what I mean? Victor's the same, you know. Mm -hmm. And so once you see people like that and you know they exist, I think you view everyone else in a different way because you're just not sure anymore. My my worry is for the, the younger kids who, who don't know those people exist. Right. And so they're kind of knocking around thinking, it goes back to my point before, I'm the tough guy, you know, blah, 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 blah. Dude, there's some really dangerous people about. So treat everyone with respect is what I'm trying to say and be a bit more humble. Yeah, you touched on something that I was thinking about recently, actually. Um, I've maintained for a long time and talked about it a lot on my podcast when I'm speaking to other martial artists, that martial artists are some of the least likely people to get into fights. Correct. And it occurred to me uh, recently that... Learning martial arts as self-defense, maybe learning when not to get into a fight is the real truest form of, of self-defense because you're really preventing the fight from ever happening. Totally. So my current mm. kind of work, which I'm about to leave, um, unfortunately, to do the, the Atlantic Row, but I've got to do that because it's really important to me. We're taught conflict management and we're taught techniques to deal with kind of self-defense, right? The stuff I'm taught is not as good as jiu-jitsu. So I just do the jiu-jitsu and the guy actually has a blue belt. So he doesn't ask me to do what he teaches me because he knows I can do it a bit differently. But the, the thing I look forward to every year when I go do that course is how to understand the environment and the situa situational awareness and the conflict management. Now, why do people get into fights? 
no one wants to fight unless you've been exposed to violence as a child and that it's become normalized to you maybe you saw your mum and dad fighting maybe your one of your parents were abusive towards you then that normalizes violence and it becomes nothing to you to hit someone most of us 99% of us aren't like that we don't want to get punched in the face and we don't want to hurt anyone else either so why do people get into fights they get into fights because they don't want to look bad in front of their mates it's like the thing about the going Eat to war thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. so it's the classic thing like you and I are in a pub I'm looking at the menu behind you okay not at you but the menu behind you you're looking at me and you're looking at me thinking that I'm looking at you you don't want to hurt me, but you're thinking, what are my mates going to say about me if I don't say something because he's staring at me? So you look around and your mate's looking at you and you go, what are you looking at, mate? What should I say at that point? Oh, mate, sorry, I was looking at your T-shirt. I think that's a jits, that's awesome. Mate, I'm just checking the menu out. Sorry, buddy, sorry, I don't want to get in your way. That's what I should say. But what do people say? You've said to me what you're looking at. I'm thinking, if I don't say something, my mate's going to think. So I go, I'm looking at you, mate. Why were you looking at? And now we're in a problem. So we want to teach our kind of students and we want to teach ourselves to just be super humble and just every opportunity you get. And I, it's kind of become a bit of a game to me. Every time I can diffuse a situation, <laughs> it's like this superpower I've got. And the best way to do it is just to have a bit of a laugh, you know, or compliment someone, mm. you know. It, it, for some reason it brought up to my uh, head uh, the scene in Fight Club when he gets to the guys like I wanted to go out and start a fight and lose <laughs> exactly right exactly. but that's the thing like so because we don't know the person that we're look we've already done it I've, I've made some bad decisions like I'll be honest road rage incidents I've been out the car with people I look back I'm embarrassed I'm embarrassed about that um but then there's techniques in that as well about kind of just dominating the, that situation with confidence. So I'll talk about this real quick. I'm not proud of it, but it's a lesson to people, I think. But as a last resort, um, I end up in, a, in an incident, an altercation with a guy much bigger than me. And um, it was heading down one, one way and that was going to be a fight. Up until the point that his adrenaline kicked in because we both knew it was going to happen and his lip quivered because the, the adrenaline was cursing through his body. And luckily for me, when his lip quivered, I looked at his lip and he saw that I'd seen that his lip had quivered. And it was this kind of, like he just backed way down because the, the kind of level change. Now I've seen the lip quiver. So now I'm the more dominant in the position. He, he now thinks that I think he's nervous it just changed. So I think what we want to be teaching people as well is in self-defense situations, you've got, to, you've got to move away from every single fight. But if you are in a situation where you can't escape, you need to be confident, dominant. And nine times out of 10, if you're those two things, you won't need to fight anyway. Mm. You know, and that can change the whole dynamics. Like bullies... Robbers, they prey, they prey on victims, man. They don't prey on confident people. They, they don't want a tough fight. They want to nick your wallet and run. So I do believe that training jiu-jitsu, bringing it back to what we do, 
just allows people to walk a little bit taller. You don't have to go and present yourself to the world as an absolute killer, but you've got an inner confidence. And I think people can see it. They can see your shoulders are back. You're a bit more confident. You're not worried. You know, that will keep you out of danger more than you know, really. Yeah. And, uh, sometimes, you know, I have to like, I'll, I'll catch myself in a glance of a, a window and I'll be like, oh, what am I doing? Like, slouching like, you know, that's not me. I just like, or if I'll, you know, you're walking, you've got a long stretch of road and there's another person coming your way and you're just like not trying to make eye contact with them and they're kind of looking at the floor, like, you know, but it's okay just to like give them a little nod, say hi. And that's like, that's some of the things like, as I progress as a martial artist, I, I find myself doing more and more, just being like, okay in those different like weird social situations. Something happened to me today, actually. I was just, uh, I was walking down a corridor and um, a young, quite overweight girl uh, was walking uh, the other way. And I could tell like she was like, I held the door open for her, but she was like super timid. Like um, you could just kind of tell she not had much confidence and whether that was like, due to her weight or, or whatever, I don't know. But uh, I kind of just felt like, oh, you don't need to feel like that. Like, you know, like, you don't need to feel like, you know, obviously she's a stranger. I'm like, but you don't need to, uh, around me. I actually me, think or, it's a generational thing. I yeah. also do. I, I also do. I think it's a generational thing. Uh, and uh, I felt like, oh, I wish you could just like, if it wasn't just a weird situation, I wish you could just like say, say, stop, like, it, it, you don't need to feel like timid or, or, or shy just when you walk in and someone's held the door for you. Don't you feel like, oh, thank you, thank you. I think, yeah, honestly, yeah. mate, I think um, the generation after me, maybe even after you a little bit, you're 25 now, yeah. um, are so connected online, less and less of their connection is real world. And so we're losing the ability to read body language or losing the ability to be confident with other people in a face-to-face -face situation. I'll tell you a quick story. On the tube, and no, it wasn't the tube, it was like an overground train. And it's coming into a station, and you know the doors, beep, 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 you gotta press the button. Mm -hmm. And it comes to this thing, and there's two young girls, they're maybe like 17, 18. They've got the phones out, whatever. Things comes in the next to the door, and one of them, I could see, you, you do it, you do it, you do it. And I was like, no, you do it, you, you, you do it, you do it paralyzed by the fear of what others might say if they didn't press the button right to open the door. And they both stepped to the side and some gazer walked in and went beep and opened the door. Like what the, what's that all about? But people are like that. Like a lot of people are really unconfident now, particularly younger people, parents, any parents of this. Like you can do your child a massive favor by taking them to an environment like jujitsu where we develop inner confidence and self-confidence because I think kids are lacking it uh, they're not going to get it who are they going to get it from they're playing video games all day yeah uh, it kind of goes into something I talk about uh, quite a bit it's like the real kind of pandemic pandemic we've got going on is like I think is is the younger generation you know touching on my generation and younger like you say uh, struggling with uh, what they're calling anxiety right and of course like whether that's my girlfriend or my, or my brother like they, they both you know people close to me suffer with anxiety and it's a tough one because you know you don't want to seem insensitive but I I am a strong believer like that a good portion don't want to put like numbers on it a strong chunk of those people would have much uh, a, a much better time dealing with anxiety should they just 
make simple changes, whether that's kind of build their self-confidence, whether that's training, whether that's eating right, sleeping right, um, building different social skills. And if you just look at those kind of five things are listed, like jujitsu, you know. Sometimes it's knowing where to start though. You know, I think some people don't know. Maybe they don't have the role models around them to show them Mm. the right, I don't want to say path because that's too martial artists to show them the right way. Um, it's really important to surround ourselves with positive people. Otherwise you can go the other way and sink down the black hole. Um, and again, I know people close to me, my family as well, who are like that. And unfortunately they're surrounded by negativity and it, it eats itself. Mm. It creates more stress like and anxiety. the echo chamber, isn't it? Yeah, man, for sure. So yeah, We've all got a responsibility to be positive to people and to show a positive outlook on life. We're all going to get anxious at times, but it's a mindset you can develop and train, I think, to, to see the positive side. And, and then coming back to the first point, embrace the suck when it comes, man, you know, and get past it and, and thrive and, and, and win in life, man, why not? Uh, a quote I put it up I put up on a post uh, the other day it was um, by this guy called Artrolocus or Greek philosopher it says he who learns must suffer true yeah um, and, and wise man that guy yeah <laughs> he's just said in about five words what I've said in the last 45 <laughs> minutes but yeah. Mike I've uh, got a couple of minutes if you want or we could just end it there is there anything you wanted to talk about no, I think, you, you you know, this podcast has been great, man. It's, it's raised some really good points um, about, about a lot of good things. You know, I think what I would say to anyone who's listening, you know, you may you may already be a member of our, our club. This this isn't just us kind of selling Gracie Barrow around it leads, but I do hope that if you've, if you've listened to this and any of it's resonated with you, maybe you are a bit anxious, maybe you struggle with your confidence, and maybe you're just a bit worried about walking about on your own at night. You know, I can't guarantee that we're going to turn you into an absolute ninja because that's down to you. But I definitely can guarantee we can connect you with a whole bunch of people who are going to give you a massive amount of confidence. And you will, we've both seen it, right? Like the transformation in people through jiu-jitsu is profound. And, you know, we need more people to do it. Simple as that. For sure. And uh, I'll close out here with... Um, not to blow your own horn here because <laughs> that is definitely what I'm going for but for people listening when I first started my podcast I wrote a list of 20 people that I wanted to interview and Mike was actually on the top of that list and that's for various reasons but uh, I respect Mike a lot and it's because I've got a lot to learn from him and uh, through the other things like, like the Royal Marines who like Royal Marines for me are like straight up heroes whether that's like yeah, I read Mark Almrod's book when I was in Hunter Company and going back to, oh, I think it was on the kids po- podcast we've talked a little bit about. That. And it was at the start of this podcast when we were talking about adversity, That's right? That's how long it's been, yeah, yeah. <laughs> We've done a lot tonight. Um, when we were talking about adversity and, and frame of reference and that kind of thing. And I think to him a lot when, I, when I'm feeling like I'm, I'm going through a, you know, I think- People who know who Mark is. Say again. Do people know who Mark is? Oh, Mark Almrod is, um, uh, well, he was the first uh, triple amputee to survive the uh, war of- or in Afghanistan. Trained Jiu-Jitsu, right? He is. He's a blue belt um, with the reorg organization. Correct. And uh, he, he loves it. He's always posting about it. Yeah, he's good yeah. as well, man. Awesome, yeah. yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Um, 
but to my point there, like, I think there's like, uh, for you and, and the people listening, um, for, for a chance for you to distill what you've learned over the past four years, I think that's like super valuable to people, whether that's on the mat or off the mat. And that's one of the reasons, again, you're on the top of my list for this pod, for the pop, my podcast and why I, I really enjoy doing this one with you. Thanks, man. Yeah. I mean, feels like I need to reply to that. That's very, very, um, very kind of you. I'm not special. You know what I mean? I was, you know, born in Doncaster to a, my dad was a plumber, my mum didn't work. There's nothing special about me. I think I've just had to find my way in the world through a bad relationship with my dad, leaving home at 16 and then kind of making it happen. And I've just, I've just got some of that I want to, I'm passionate about trying to inspire people. Hence why I'm trying to row across the Atlantic. Well, I'm going to row across the Atlantic on my own. And if anyone wants to be a part of that journey and wants to watch me do it and wants to learn how it's done and perhaps learn some of those values for themselves, then come to the come to the gym, man.